give that shit up, you can concentrate on golf. If you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Great moments are born from great opportunity. You play ball like a girl! Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with me, Colm, and my co-hosts, Massey and Paul. This is episode 13 of season 1 and it is a special episode of Cool Runnings. This version was recorded before we got the opportunity to speak to Nimroy and Shan Wayne, so it is a special ad- extra edition at the end of the season. If it is your first time listening, I would advise to go back to the start and listen from episode 1, as we will refer to previous shows from time to time. The show does contain film spoilers, so if you've not yet seen the film... I would advise watching it first and it might help you understand a little bit better. And now for today's show, I hope you enjoy. Hi everybody and welcome to a Roy Orbison Tattoo Podcast with Mossy. How are you doing, Colm? Good, and Paul? No things, Colm. Not too bad. And today we've got a film called Cool Runnings to review the coaching of Mr. Irv Blitzer. So first thoughts on the film, lads? That was excellent. It was great to watch it again. So it was just a real feel-good film. Very funny, but uh, a lot of relevant points in it, I thought, for coaching as well. Paul? Yeah, enjoyable film again. Yeah, enjoyed it. I suppose it, a lot of them real old-school films, they're, they're good to watch back. Yeah, I actually think it was probably the second movie i ever seen in the cinema. Irv Blitzer. Thoughts on, thoughts on Mr. Mr. Blitzer? Former Olympian bobsleigh champion. He was like a fella who was running away from his past where he ended up, wasn't he? He had no interest whatsoever in coaching him, but just perseverance from the athletes changed his mind. That was the first thing about him. And I was think, Paul. Yeah, that first scene where he comes into it, it reminds me of, we'll say, a GA club and they're, they're just desperate to get any sort of a manager who's left. <laughs> and like So they've, they've made their few phone calls around to try and get someone... And then there's just a fella sitting at a bar. I think he used to do something. I'm sure we'll get him. Like, yeah, it was a bit of that too. And all right. And the whole the whole bar scene was actually very funny. Like the, the way they kind of kept pursuing him. And yeah. he just said he just said no interest. Like sure he has said even beating the crap out of the radio with the pool cue was the the first instance. Of him, like, I wonder was that what it was like when the Wexford boys went up in the bus to Davy Fitz with the, the Mawadi and biscuits. With the Mawadi and biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the sled. I don't know where they call him the hurling god. The way they, they call the they call Blitzer the sled god. So I suppose they, they eventually persuaded him. Like Therese kind of he, they badgered him, like didn't they? They uh, they weren't giving up. They weren't taking no for an answer. At the end, he just took it to shut them up. Really, didn't he? As you see in the scene when he was um, showing what bobsleigh was around, like it was a packed audience. And then when they turned on the light, like, there was only two of them left. That's right, yeah. I suppose he was trying to make it as, as difficult sounding for them as, as possible. But like, I suppose the whole premise of the movie was Doris was supposed to be an Olympian after his father. And he was willing to do anything to get there. Which, which I'd like, I don't know, it's a bit mad. Like, you know, the people would be so, I suppose, they'd just do anything to be an Olympian, regardless of what sport um, or what competition they took. Like, he was just willing to do it, you know. His dream was to be a 100-meter sprinter. And he ended up going to bobsleigh. I think, yeah, but he was so upset about not getting through with the 100 metres. Like, remember, he went in looking for a replay of the race. It was a bit like John Delaney going to FIFA looking for a 33rd team in the World Cup, wasn't it? There was no chance of that happening whatsoever. Like, so yeah. He was prepared to do whatever it was to fulfil his dream as being an Olympian. And, like, around that kind of looking to, to gain qualification for the Olympics, like, you train for whatever period of time. It could be a four-year cycle, it could be a one-year cycle, but it does come down to specifically one event a, a lot of the time that you need to try and gain your 
your qualification in, and it is is pretty much shit or bust a lot of the time, you know. Yeah, I suppose just from the, the like the Jamaican trials there, but the US trials are the same. You have to finish in the right spot in the trials to get in. It was similar to a couple like you'd see in the GA. Some players leaving their home county to go and play with another county just to be an intercounty footballer. Like, like, is it is it a bit mad or what's the sort like? Like, what are your thoughts on it? Like, like I said, you got your man from um, Kerry playing full forward for Roscommon in the last few years. Connor Cox, even more prevalent in hurling. Yeah, but like, should a player not fulfill his potential? Should they not like try to push themselves just because they're born say in a really strong, strong county? Say you're a club footballer in Dublin and you're like for top, club, top class, club, but you're not good. Club hurler in Cork going all the way to Sligo. <laughs> you're not good enough to make the Dublin senior panel, but you're well capable of playing with another county. Like, what should you really be stopped if you have links to that county? If that player wants to push himself. Look, I, I think one of, the, one of the real strengths of the GA is that parochial, we'll say, parish and county element to it. And I would like a situation in the GA that people are only involved with their, their own club and own county. So you're trying to get rid of all the outsiders with the doves, Paul? Is that what you're saying? There's benefits to it. There would be, there's, there's benefits to it. As long as people are getting the opportunity to play at an appropriate level all over the place and it isn't, I suppose, leading to elitism or... We'd say you can look at it from like I, I know Kildare Kildare hurlers had a lot of um, outsiders in recent years, and that's obviously mm-hmm. pushing fellas who are mad about hurling and Kildare out of the team. You know, so mm-hmm. there's 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 two sides to the story. It's a driving up standards as well, though, in certain counties. I was talking to a, a Leitrim hurler there recently, and they had their couple of outsiders from uh, Cork coming in, and he thought like they brought their players on to see the level that they're at. Yeah, like I suppose just just from my own perspective. Like when it, you know they brought in rules back when when I would have played with Sligo for the two years to accommodate. Well, you're getting that in that you're a former county herder there, yes. Yeah? Well, of course, <laughs> yes. They brought in a rule that if you were living in the county or your mother or father was from the county, you could play with the county. You could go from one of the perceived the stronger counties to one of the perceived weaker counties. I suppose looking back, I did like I took this. I took the spot of a homegrown fella from Sligo who probably trained with his own club with limited resources, you know, against football for a long time. And he could have been playing, and instead there was some full of Cork playing corner forward, a full forward for the team. I suppose in hindsight, like I suppose with everything with us as well, lads, I suppose like co- even a lot of coaching that we would have done 10 years ago, we'd kind of go, God, I can't believe I did that, you know. And it, yeah, it, it probably wasn't fair. You'd have had Joyce and Owen Morgan going off to play cricket with England after playing for Ireland, but they were going from a lower level to a higher level, which in the GA in the past would have been a sort of more common thing where a player would go from a junior club to a senior club. You know, you got like, like Christy Ring and Cork would have went from Klein. Tedlin Rovers, who were one of the dominant teams in the county. But I suppose it, it, it's sort of something that happens in all sport throughout the world in, in various guises. Absolutely. Look, the Irish rugby team. Just, just as well on that, um, like if, if you look at the GA and how the GA is structured, you, you have your club and you have your county. I feel the opportunity for fellas to mix and play with people from other counties is, is at third level. Like if you look at Shane Conway, Shane Conway has been the best third level hurler for the last two years coming from Kerry and like without a doubt the best the best hurler you know Kerry is his county and he's happy with that you know like just going a, a little bit further into the Olympic thing there is a lot of that switch in the codes that happens within it England Team GB hosted the Olympics in, in 2012 and they would have done a, a specific recruitment policy in place trying to identify people with specific skill sets so people who are extremely fast people who had great fair who were strong and they set them up 
if this is your skill set, this is a part a sport you can excel in. So like with that, some of that indoor cycling, with the the skeleton bobsleighing is another one. There's a there's a really good book on it actually called the Talent Lab. That if you look into that, it, it just kind of it gives an overall snapshot of of identifying talent for specific sports and 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 so on and building the the whole infrastructure around that. Wasn't there a reality TV show actually in Britain? Oh, it's, it could have been 10 plus years ago where they would have got the best up and coming athlete from a number of different sports. So they would have had rugby, boxing. I'm just trying to think, no, there were two of the boys that got to the end. And what they did was they actually pitted, put them, two of them actually ended up on a rowing, basically a program, a King GB program because their skill set was suited to that. So it is common. Would there be any other sports in Ireland that would do it? First Irish bobsled team recruited athletes back in 1992. Terry McHugh, the javelin thrower, he... he Went to the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. And I think the other three members were, were runners. I think they're sprinters. What other sports? I'm sure there's a cross sport. As you said, the, the rugby, the ladies rugby team have a lot of athletes who came from other sports who might not have started out with rugby. As you said, Lindsay Pete was a ladies footballer and mm-hmm. Irish basketball player um, before she played rugby, maybe in her 30s, and then went on to get a number of caps. So it is something that does happen. Back to the to the film then, like Mr. Irv Blitzer, he tried to do everything in his power not to go ahead with it. And the last thing he said to them in the pub, I know it was before, after he, before they persuaded him, obviously, he said, Oh, look, whatever your name is. Therese. All right, Therese, let me lay out some difficulties for you. Snow, you don't have any. It's 900 degrees out there. Time, you don't have any. The Olympics are in three months. And me, you don't have me. As far as I'm concerned, the sport of bobsledding no longer exists. I don't want to do it. I don't want to coach it. And most of all, and I mean most of all, I don't want to be within 2,000 miles of anyone who does. But then the next thing, as you said, he's shown him the film, uh, which, which starts off nice and rosy, but paints a pretty, a pretty damning picture of the, of the sport. But um, yeah. once, once he did get the team, like, so they got together the, the four lads, so you had, you had the three potential Olympic sprinters, and downhill... Go-kart, push-kart <laughs> yeah. champion of, for six years in a row or something? Six years in a row, seven years in a row. He was, he was, going, going, for he was going for seven, yeah. So that's his team. But but like his training, or like let's say before they even left for the Olympics, how did you feel that went? I thought it was uh, trying to adapt his situation that he was he had in front of him. Like trying to get them used to the cold by putting them in the ice cream truck. Yeah, I but... thought it was very funny. It's a bit like Brian Kerr when he was training the Irish underage football teams and they're going to a tournament in Africa. He was training them in bin liners. Like they all had to wear their black bin bags just so they get used to the heat and hats and everything on hot days. But I thought it was funny. I thought he got excited and seen their potential when they hit the 5.9 seconds. And that's when he really clicked and bought into these guys, I believe. Yeah, we'll say that when they were doing it in the, the kind of a go-kart down the hill and they were trying to hit that 5.9 seconds, I thought it was it, it was funny, like it was madly reckless, but I thought the best part of it was when your man Sanka wanted to be the, the main fella and sure it was always going to be the Reese. It's kind of like dealing with a fella on the team and he wants to play centre-back and uh, no, you're take, paying. And back. take the freeze and the, and the, and the penalties. <laughs> Yeah, like on every sideline, it's just really people's perception of themselves compared to reality as well. And as as a coach, being able to deal with that is is, is a critical skill. And, and and he did deal with that well, you know. I know I'm the driver, right? No, you're the brake man. No, no, I'm the driver. No, you're not. You're the brake man. 
I'm the driver. You're not. You're the brake man. You don't understand. I'm Sanka Coffee. I'm the best pushcart driver in all of Jamaica. I must drive. Do you dig where I'm coming from? Yeah, I dig where you're coming from. Good. Now dig where I'm coming from. I'm coming from two gold medals. I'm coming from nine world records in both the two and four man events. I'm coming from 10 years of intense competition with the best athletes in the world. That's a hell of a place to be coming from. You see, Sanka, the driver has to work harder than anyone. He's the first to show up and the last to leave. When his teammates are all out drinking beer, he's up in his room studying pictures of turns. You see, a driver must remain focused 100% at all times. Not only is he responsible for knowing every inch of every course he races, he's also responsible for the lives of the other three people in his sled. Now, do you want that responsibility? I say we make Doris the driver. So do I, Sanko. So do I. Did it very well, because Sanko was very, very happy to go the opposite end after that. My, 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 I thought the funniest part of that whole thing was when they went down, they eventually got to 5.9, they went all the way down the hill and they crashed into the cop car. And he comes running down. He was like, "Get up, yeah. back up to the top of the hill." What are you guys yeah. doing down here? You know, just ignored everything else that was around us. It was just sort yeah. of single-minded. Right now, we're moving and we're getting place. I thought that was funny as well. That was very good too. And other than that, like you know, he had like I thought, and I think it was after that when he went to the kind of Olympic chief of of Jamaica looking for the twenty thousand, and like he basically said, like we've got a chance here if we if we get there. You know, he, he kind of first time it showed a real. I'm a believer in this. Did, did he, was that before or after he said that he believed that the bobsled, best bobsled team be made up of four sprint athletes? Well, he said that, he said that back 20 years previous when he tried to recruit. 20 years previous, that's what I mean, like so. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he tried to recruit three. This is father, yeah. Yeah. But he said, it in, he said it in the film again then and it proved that that's, I think that's what he was hoping for. That's what he had belief in the team at that stage. Anything else before they left for Calgary? I, I, I liked I liked uh, how they had to do the fundraising themselves. Yeah, yeah. It was like it was like a GA team, county team doing their fundraising for their team holiday. I thought it was uh, I thought it was funny. Yeah, the county team would raise a lot more money than the, the four boys. <laughs> I think for sure. They arrived in Calgary then without any bobsleigh, without ever being in a bobsleigh, and without ever being in the cold climate, you know, but they got to work fairly quickly, you know, but I thought it was interesting, and you mentioned earlier, Mass about Irv was running away from his past a bit, like as soon as he met his old teammates and coach, you could see the, I suppose, the animosity between them. Yeah. And for a coach to be kind of, I suppose, put it for, for Irv was probably, his probably fear at the start, it wasn't so much the lads who was probably going back into that environment. Yeah. So it took a lot of guts for him to actually face the face his demons in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I think that was his personal demons really. He was like like if you're trying to hide from somewhere something you go as far as way as you could, like Jamaica and ice aren't really come together. So he thought he'd probably never have to think about that again. And then he's confronted his fears as soon as he arrived back in Calgary. The the next the next thing then was was the actually seeing the bobsleigh in real life going down the hill and there were I think it was a Swiss fella. They said, who's, who's he? And Irv says he's one of the best drivers in the world. And one of the other fellas, yeah, but he's one of the biggest assholes too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once they did get the equipment in, I suppose, like it showed Irv's, I suppose, a bit of ingenuity that he was able to actually get the bobsleigh for the, the price he got it for. And as a coach, that is important. Like we, we spoke about in the past with Coach Robert and Blades of Glory about getting the, I suppose, the warehouse and flooding it. So having those kind of skills and those communication skills is important. As, as progressed in, I thought... To, Turning point for Dim was to fight. A, a good team fight. Nothing better for a bonding, is there? 
actually just before that like around all that hostility from the swiss and all there, there was a saying we're different people are people are always scared of what's different there is that bit of trepidation all the time of of some of a new team coming up and jesus what are they going to do or, or this that and the other you know and if, if you do hear that they're doing things slightly differently you're always got there's always just that little bit of just i wonder i wonder is there substance to this like mm. yeah that be, I suppose, like you, you can definitely see that in the GA world for over a hundred years. See the big three in the hurling of Cork, Tipperary, and Kilkenny, who basically kept everybody else down. But when Clare came along in '95 with different training methods and a different way of doing things, like you can see how it's kind of like I know there hasn't been a huge amount of ball earnings one beyond those three still like but you can see how it's become more open you know when an outsider came into the pack I think it gives belief like when you see an underdog winning something like it gives everybody else belief that they can do it like if if Clare can win it why can't Limerick win it again or Waterford win it or Galo win it or something like that when you see a barrier getting broken down it's now open for everybody and I suppose that, that's, that's what it was for them as well as a barrier like wasn't it like even if you look at Roger Bannister there with the four minute mile, once he it's continuously broken, and, and like a lot of limits that are out there are are self imposed mental limits. That's it, absolutely. What do you think of uh, Irv's when they when they went for on the ice at the Bob's there for the first time? I thought it was brilliant. Zip, everybody climb in, pull up. We don't understand. I'm not gonna push start. Now we're gonna push start next time. For your first run, I'm just gonna nudge you off. Okay, everybody, and let's go, let's go. Come on, come on. They all thought they're gonna be running and jumping in. He said, "No, just get into the cart. I'll push you." It was just like taking like baby steps. Get that's, to know. That's exactly it. Yeah, just baby steps yeah. like that. I suppose rather than trying to do too much too soon, we'll just keep building. Like I know it's something in the sports coaching world now about scaffolding and stuff like that. Just layer on layer on layer, like and even just getting them to sit in it and feel it yeah. going down without worrying about step beside it. I suppose the same way you teach a skill, like you teach yeah teach a kid how to drop the ball before they you teach the punt kick or the hook kick, you know. So, so it's, I suppose it's something like that. But it was it was interesting the way he just like they were kind of embarrassed, but he said no, this is what we're doing. Sit in and strap up. Yeah, like even even around that as well, like them them first couple of couple of runs, like he gave an instruction as well, hand soft, head clear, high in and low out, which were really simple to the point. Mm. And like when I heard them, each of them are very understandable of what's to be done, like as well, you know. So there was good elements to that as well. And he was trying to get them focused just on them. He wanted them to worry about themselves and not worry about what people thought of them or what the other teams are doing. So I think it's very important when you're a team is that you concentrate on yourself and not worried what, as we talked about earlier, we just mentioned there briefly, what Claire are doing. Do we all have to copy them? You know, you know how trends do be set by teams and stuff just because they're doing it. Should we be doing it as well? I thought that was, I thought that was a good coaching point. Yeah, and like, how do you think he he handled the the fight? Like, he, you know, he he afford them sitting down inside in the bedroom, and he read the riot act essentially. Like, you know, for grown ups, is that the right way? Well, I suppose he got a response out of him, didn't he? And the next day, they were they were up at the break of dawn, and he was still in bed, ready to go. Yeah, like with that, like, and and we'll say that montage the following morning, and it was a poor sports montage, as as much as go. That's a bit harsh, now. <laughs> opinions were entitled to them but the one element of the montage that i thought was really good is when they were throwing the snowballs at him 
and it just showed like he was he would say they were both lining up for and it just showed a good level of respect between the two of them that there was they were able to operate in that level together. He could have fun with them, couldn't he? Like he was bought into bought into the team at that stage in terms of there was respect there, what he could do with them, what he couldn't do. They could have the joke with them, whatever it was. Did you like when uh, they're in the bath and they had to four them in four them yeah. side to side just said like yeah. like you, you can practice a situation anywhere. You know, mm. I thought that was I thought that was good. But he like he was becoming more of a team, the whole lot of them. Yeah. As as the film went on. Um and you could see it by that, you know, the snowball thing. But well, I thought uh, I thought the montage was, was very good. I thought it was nice and scenic. I thought there was you know, up by the river and and there was varying different they were doing a bit of stamina work, some power work, um, some speed work. I thought he kept it nice and varied. Um, and like you said, Massey, the, the inside and the bat, just to, to go side to side. You know, they, they, I suppose they kind of ate up the level at that stage, their preparation. The, the level of preparation really upped when they got the new gear. Okay, guys. Tonight's the night. Now, in a few minutes, you're going to get a chance to do something that no one in your country has ever done. I was going to save this for the Olympics, but I figure if we're going to convince these judges that we are world-class sledders, then we had better look like world-class sledders. Oh, man. Yes. Nice. Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, what, what it reminded me of was Keith Ricken, who would uh, manage Cork to the under-20 all-Ireland football title in 2019. He'd done a presentation at the GA Games Conference in, 20, in January 2020. And he talked about the, the GA is about the three Gs, gear, grub and games. And hmm. people are getting all them, they're happy out, you know. And like, who wouldn't be happy with the, the brand new slick Adidas gear? It's quality, yeah. I, I have a bit of a theory coming along now, right? Any film... That's a high quality film. We'll have class Adidas gear in it. <laughs> um, okay. We'll put that to the test. Yeah. Watch out for it. Watch out for it going forward. It is a thing. No. Think they might sponsor us with some gear for the podcast host. Possibly. If we're lucky. Yeah. We'll take off all the other regalia we've got on. <laughs> But I think, do you know what, actually, when he, when they did get it, I thought they themselves had a bit of belief about themselves then. You know, they knew we looked apart as well now. I thought you could clearly see a kind of difference in their mindset that once they got it, they were like, yes, this is, this is important. But it, it, it makes, it does make any player feel part of a team once you get that gear. You're dressed the same as everybody else. Like, it's, it's you're buying into it then at that stage. It, it, it really is. necessity though, do you think? Like, is it a problem if you don't have it? I wouldn't say that. Like, it's a problem, but I do feel that you do feel like you're part of a team if you have the gear. Like, I remember what uh, I saw a photograph of God of Footballers a few years ago. They were at a sponsorship launch for something, and there might have been 12 of them there. And I think they were wearing 10 different sets of gear, and it just looks all over the place. It didn't look like a team, if you get me. Drips and drabs looks shoddy. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't know. Like, like you see, we're always going to see the teams that are successful as as being uniform because you know you're seeing the picture of them in an All Ireland final day when they all have yeah. the exact same gear and they're after being given the new suits and whatnot. Yeah. But like before that, I, I don't I don't know. Is it like obviously? Look, players love getting free gear. That's a simple fact in the matter. Is players anyone involved in sport 
loves free gear. But I don't know, is it is it that important, like psychologically? Like if you, I suppose if you're giving them other skills, is is it you put them part? But it's an identity thing too. Yeah. It's like if you're when you're looking after college teams or whatever it is, and you get your freshers in. Once they get that gear, like they'd be wearing it around the college, mm. you know, they feel part of it. They're buying in. It's, it's all look at them, whatever it is. But I, I, th- I think it is important yeah. in one yeah, way. But, yeah, but like, suppose I'm just thinking of the, like, there's so many pictures of Kilkenny training, and they'd have any type of jersey and any type of socks and shorts on them. Um, and this when they were winning all Ireland's and other teams were make sure that they had every bit of gear waiting from a training session, folds folded and stuff. When you get to that level, it, it's they probably don't need the buy in as much. Yeah, I, I, I think in the gear situation that it, it is, it shouldn't be handed to you at the expense of working hard. It's not going to win you a game, it is very much a nice extra that is, in my eyes, it isn't important. The important stuff is working hard on, on, on the various aspects of the game, you know. Like I, I do think there's possibly just too much gear given out at times in, in, in certain places and it, it should be coveted rather than dished out. Really. You're speaking from a man who doesn't like to spend much of his checkbook. A slanderous <laughs> accusation. You <Remove> that. <laughs> no, another thing, right? Just just after after the gear. Like Irv's actual background and his own reputation started to hinder the, the, the team. Like when when should a manager I suppose when as a manager or a coach of a team becomes a hindrance, when should he step away or there are instances of of managers feeling that referees are out to get them or the media is out to get them. When there's the element there that you're looking externally for reasons for, for failing, I think then there's a problem. I think with Irv that wasn't possibly the case. I think he was just getting on with it and, and was hoping that such a thing wasn't going to happen. And it's hard to know, really. It's hard to know. But like ma- managers, and, 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 then, and then Jose Mourinho, for example, would create vendettas, you know, mm. to, to try and galvanise and un- unite a team. See what mm. I done there with United and United. But. That's good. Good going there. In terms of a coach or a manager, if you think that you're a hindrance on the team and you are not getting the best out of what they can become themselves, I think that's when you know that you should step down. If we look at a film, Coach Carter, at the very start, coach there, knew that he couldn't deal with the group of guys he had anymore, or he had, so he went to seek to get a new coach that could bring these along a little bit further. I think in Irv's case there, I really like the way that when the team got disqualified, though he went put himself out there he backed his team 100% was willing to step away if it was an issue about him for his team I thought that really showed that he created such a strong bond with his team at that stage all right 16 years ago I made the biggest mistake of my life I cheated I was stupid I embarrassed myself my family my teammates my country and my coach if it's revenge you want Take it. Go ahead. Disqualify me. Banish me. Do whatever you want, but do it to me. It was me who let you down, Kurt. It wasn't my guys. They've done everything you've asked of them, and they did it with all of you laughing in their face. Hell, it doesn't matter if they come in first or 50th. Those guys have earned the right to represent their country. They've earned the right to march into that stadium and wave their nation's flag. That's the single greatest honor an athlete could ever have. That's what the Olympics are about. 
I suppose he, he had the self awareness himself, you know. Yeah. Like there, there's I suppose, uh, like there's been notable instances in the GA when players have tried to get a coach or a manager removed, and like the manager himself not having that self awareness. Well, what's what's there for the greater good? Um, it yeah. Might come personal and stuff, but no, I just I just thought it was interesting. As I said, like that he did, he went up to bat for them, you know. He went. Yeah. He, was... You know, he took away his own. His own responsibility, really took out his own past past interests and tried to square it up for them, which he did, thankfully. I suppose they, they really built built a team around that that whole thing. And I thought I thought one thing that was he was about, he spoke about the Olympic dream that they were taking it away from the from the, the team, you know, and it kind of goes back to the kind of start of the thing is the dream of going to the Olympics in in whatever guys were nearly onto the first run. Anything that before we get there? No, fair the, the Bob's Day prayer, which I thought is uh, a nice little touch, and it's just like in the mood for them. I'm not good at that stuff. Instead, I thought I'd uh, lead you in a psalm of inspiration. Let's bow our heads. Who's the kipper? Our Father, who art in Calgary, bobsled be thy name. Thy kingdom come, gold medals won, on earth as it is in turn seven. With liberty and justice for Jamaica and Haile Selassie. Amen. All right. All right. Yes. Respect. I thought, I thought it, was a, it was a nice touch the way that he was able to lighten the mood. But I think at that stage, they were a team. They were, it was five of them versus the world at that stage. It wasn't yeah. him and four others. It was really the, the whole lot of them. And like the, the first run, it went bad. Like, like he said it. He said, you choked. You know, when he was talking to them afterwards, you know, and he kind of went from a real loving place beforehand to a real, you know, it's on you as a player. I suppose to cross the white line and it's on their, it's their responsibility. Yeah, like it was choked and it was very much figure it out yourself. Yes. And, and the reason he was able to do it like that is because he, he had already given them the tools to solve the problem. Um, and, and he did fully believe in their capabilities and skill set. So it was like figure it out yourself. And, and I thought, again, that giving responsibility to the team when you know they're well prepared is, is, is an important aspect of it as well. And like around that as well, like there was a bit of a, the identity of being Jamaican and they, they were getting away from that and being able to bring it back to place and not forget who you are because there's always subtle elements of where you're from that impacts how you play, etc. Brazil and soccer or Kerry in, in, in football or whatever it is or, or Ajax or, or whatever Barcelona Respect to the man Alright gentlemen we now come to the second chance for the poor intrepid men from Jamaica. What do they have to do, John? In reality, Al, I don't think the Jamaicans have any chance of winning a medal. Dear God, just let it be better than yesterday. Ready? Ready? Feel the rhythm. Feel the rhyme. Get on up. It's bumpflet time. Cool running. And I thought, like you could, you could clearly see that identity thing come true in the second run. You know, they they started partying, they were a bit more lighthearted, and he even got him to put on the the old hat and sing with them in the kind of conga line kind of thing. I suppose after the run, you could see his pride 
in them, you know, he was he was so jubilant that they went from I think it was twenty eighth place up to eighth place. Yeah, they went in with a fifty six second run, and his joy from that, like you could see, like the satisf- how satisfied he was when he did that. He was just like joy, like so happy for them rather than for himself. I thought that was nice. As well around that, we'll say partying and showing the Jamaican element. Doris was studying the bends as well. So it's important to be able to mix the, the, the serious element of this is a element that needs to get done and this is part of the identity of the bit of crack as well. It's merging the two of them together is, is important. Did you like his uh, talk with Junior then after that about winning is his whole life? Or was it? With Doris. Sorry. I thought when Doris asked him, it was probably the deepest part of the whole movie. Yeah. Um, it really went into the, I suppose, the, the human element behind sport in that, like, he said that, that he had to keep winning. And, like, that's, that's why he cheated. He just winning became the thing that he, it was, I suppose, he was afraid, afraid of failure more yeah. than he was joyed by the success. Winning um, defined him, really, didn't it? That's what he was getting across. Like, I, I thought it was a brilliant line where Irv goes, a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you are not enough without it, you will be. You will not be enough with it. I thought that was brilliant. So like the medals don't define you. And Therese asked him, "How will I know?" And he said, "You'll know tomorrow when you cross the finish line." But it was just, it was just really interesting to see that kind of human sport element. That yeah. you know, we've seen it. We've seen it during the during the coronavirus, where players have their identity they feel has been stolen from them a small bit um, inter-county players and there's been a number of articles that have spoken about it that a player's identity shouldn't be an inter-county football defined um, because yeah. of injury or loss of form whatever that's gone there has to be more to a person than their sport that was a very moving point of the film yeah like it was probably as I said for, for a comedy it was probably the deepest part but like from, from a sporting context it was it's so so true especially with elite sport they also helped develop Junior as a character as well to the state where he was able to stand up to his dad, you know. There was elements that they were they were building the, the character of of the the various bobslayers at the same time. You know? A lost a lost boy has grown up. He's no longer a boy but an Olympian. Yeah. And Yule was a big part as a as a teammate, he was a big part of, of developing developing Junior in that regard, even though Yule wanted to cut his head off at the start of the film. But it was interesting, as I said, it just was like you could it kind of down. There was kind of a four or five minute scene spell there where it was just really intense and emotional within the film. I thought I thought it was very interesting, and that took us to the to, to day three, the third run, which I suppose from like they they gained the imagination of the the world a small bit, you know, and that's right. Like, but as well as the TV commentators had the the Jamaica obviously jumpers on. So they, they captured the imagination, which you'd actually see an awful lot in sport. Like I'm just thinking the most recent one, probably from our perspective, would be Iceland in the soccer. Was it the Euros or the World Cup a couple of years ago? They knocked out They knocked out England, didn't they? Yeah, and like they all of a sudden they became a sort of held up as, I suppose, everybody yeah. was rooting for them, you know, the underdog again. It does happen. Like There's a team like Leicester a few years ago. Everyone, when Leicester going well, everybody wanted to see them win the league. They like to see the underdog come true. Doesn't last long, though. Once the once they once they win one, they uh, that's it. The end. They love it. They love it. Usually, it starts it starts fading away. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, just away. thinking the clear clear ninety five. Craig, if we're talking about clear ninety five a lot, the clear ninety five when they came that year, there was a real feel good. Everybody was delighted for them. But yeah. two years later, they were probably the most hated team in Ireland. You know, so you can go from what is what is the one from Batman? You can you either you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. 
So, you know, it's, it's with the underdogs that they can only, they'll only have that love status for so long. So but you're linking the Claire Hurlers to Batman here now. Is that what you're saying? And, and, and the Jamaican Bobster team. And <laughs> three degrees of separation. Yeah. <laughs> so day three then, like, pressure was on. You could see they were a bit more tense. Even you give the, the lucky egg a kiss. So they, they, they were sensing, I suppose, the carefree attitude of the day before was gone. And it was now where, I suppose, squeaky bum time, as, as, as Alex Ferguson used to say. But I think, again, he kept it very simple. The, the couple of phrases he gave at the top before they left. Is Jamaica. All right, fellas, that's us. Let's go. Here we go. Today's our day. This is it. Come on, guys. We can do it. Therese. See you at the finish line. And he just kept it simple. Didn't try to fluster them with, with any technical stuff. Well, well, technical stuff. Where does the responsibility lie for the equipment not being right? I'd imagine the equipment manager, but I don't think they could afford one. So where does the responsibility lie? Does it lie with the Reese or Irv? I don't know. Well, I, I'm presuming that it's probably a lot of it is on the Reese as the as pilot, or what's the what's the term used for him? Um, the driver in that. Irv was responsible for the weights in the front of his bobsled twenty years previous. And he was the driver. It wasn't the coach who got sacked. It was Irv. It was Therese was the fella that was polishing up the bobsleigh, I suppose, in the cu- in the cubby hold earlier on. So, like, I'd imagine the upkeep of it for, for the likes of the Swiss and whatnot, they probably have someone doing it, the same as the Tour de France cycling teams have. Well, you have your Formula, your Formula 1 drivers yeah. with their, their team uh, engineers, but the driver is the one who will know if everything is working to his satisfaction. It's their equipment. They'll sense if there's something wrong or not. So that would have been up to Therese, really, I would guess. Yeah. Do I have a different opinion on it, Paul? No, I wouldn't say a different opinion, but I suppose with the fact that Therese is brand new to it and that being an extremely, extremely subtle thing, I think that a slight bit of responsibility lies with, lies with Irv there. Well, I suppose like from the state, the state of the the actual bobsleigh they got, you'd like to think they would have done a full health check. But look, I suppose one washer missing is all it was like to have such a thing. But but I suppose look, they went down. They had the crash. Did did any of you cry watching it? No, no tears. No. Am I, the only, am I the only emotional one in the group? We saw the film before. We knew what was me, coming. <laughs> still gets me. Still gets me every time. Romantic, you romantic. I am, but they did, they, they, you know, they got the applause, they got the slow cap, it was your man, the, the Swiss driver started, you know, and even Irv's old coach, who tried to disqualify them, took part in it, you know, so they, they obviously, they did something right, hmm. I suppose is what I'm saying. I think they, they, they earned the respect of the other, of everybody really, for the efforts they put in from coming from a, a freak show basically at the start to being a com- very competitive team that um, did very, very well in the Olympics. They did, and you could go back to that question that was asked, were they enough at that stage? And they probably were because they were already looking to four years down the line, you know, they'd done a good job and they they became respected, which is which is the key to it. Like, And that that picture at the end of them all in and, and Irving over the top is is a great photo, you know? Um, and them, them moments after... After you've given everything you can, and and the photos afterwards are always good for nostalgia and reminiscing, you know. I thought Irv was redeemed at that stage as well. He got the respect back, mm. uh, which he lost after his Olympics passed. Yeah, yeah, but I think again, like you can see, even in some of the other films, the whole we, you know, they were part of of the same journey. It wasn't a coach and the players; it was the whole lot of them together. 
um, which I thought was was interesting. Do you have any funny lines from the film that you really laughed at or anything like that? I like, I love that. How about, about I draw a line down your head and it looks like a bush? <laughs> I, I just laughed aloud. Thank God, a few good ones. Um, who was it at the start? Or was it the start? It was, uh, it was when, when Doris went, I don't know, did he walk away from a couple of women and one of them says, I could watch that backside all day. <laughs> I, said, yeah, I don't know, would that be allowed in films? Do you <laughs> no, it'll probably be edited next week or something. In, in fairness, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the language and jokes in it was, was very Disney. Yeah. So often, like, yeah, yeah no, it, was, it was enjoyable. It was. It was. It was just a really good film, and like the characters, it said the character development and the whole lot of it was interesting. Yeah. If you if you had to pick an Irish bobsleigh team, what would you out of athletes? Would you think of anybody who'd be suited to it? To, we'd have to go Paul Hessian in a way. As the, I think he's the record holder, hundred meters. Is he? Yeah. Get a sprinter in there because, uh, as Irv says, sprinters make best bobsleighers. Yeah. Hang on now a second, actually, just because Paul Hessian is the hundred meter sprinter, would you not have Jack McCaffrey in ahead of him? Jack McCaffrey surely run quicker than him. Does Jack McCaffrey run faster than Paul Hessian? Because I'd imagine if Jack McCaffrey can run faster than Paul Hessian and get to the Olympics, he'd probably be doing that. I'd say Paul Hessian would, in his prime, would have absolutely blitzed him. I'd imagine so. Like I know we always, we always sporting athletes to like that are fast, like Ronaldo can run this fast and blah blah. But if they were like obviously you know with soccer, yeah, they can make make way more money. But if if Jack McCaffrey can run the Olympics, I'd imagine he would like if he's that fast. I what I have I would have had TJ Reid as the driver. Why TJ Reid as a driver? Because he's big, powerful, and very accurate. Imagine him going around the bends. Jacob Stockdale, big, strong, fast runner. I'd have Damian Comer, powerful, fast, and I'd I'd have Thomas Barr as my uh, break man at the back. Fast and light. Can do it. I don't know what I put TJ Reid in there. I was actually thinking if you were to put a driver in there, I had two fellas in mind, and one of them was Tony McCoy because man, if he if you want someone to drive something around the course, <laughs> yeah, we'd be taking shortcuts at that. Yeah, and secondly, the other thing that the other thing I'd be saying would someone like Ron Nagara or Johnny Sexton, just they were able to marshal direct things on a pitch. And they're the other, the other two that I can have in mind for, for the driver part. For the, for the other side of it, I was thinking actually Jim McGuinness is the brake man because he's very good at defence. <laughs> what about the O'Donovan brothers? Surely their, their um, experience in... A vessel like that? Surely they are. Ah, they're only good in water then, that's... Mm. Sure, that's ice's water. Cold water. Hard, hard water. <laughs> yeah. Right. Any, any, anything else to add to the Irish Bobsley team, Paul, for future discussions? Trollier. Trollier's fast as well. He'd be a bit cracked too. <laughs> <laughs> he would be. He would be, actually, yeah. Um, he would. Um, yeah, we could make a team, all right. Right, we've got to make a team of sound fillers as well, so we might have to exclude a few other fillers. Quiz time. Okay, so, again, call your name and give the answer. If you don't get it, the message gets passed over to... Yeah, the question gets passed over to the other person. Okay, question one. Okay. Name of country and year, what Summer Olympics were they trying to qualify for in the sprint? Massey. Massey. Uh, Seoul, 1988. Correct, one point to Massey. Number two, how did Yul Brynner raise funds for the fundraiser? Massey. Massey. Um, the the Kisseton. Incorrect. Paul, over to you. He raised funds through... Um, 
Dana? Arm wrestling was the answer to that question. Right, question number three. What beverage were the team drinking after they got to qualifying time? Mossy. Mossy. Coca-Cola? Correct. Tuna to Mossy. Pressure on Paul. you got two questions left. Question number four. Who is Tallulah? Mossy. Mossy. He was the, she was the mother, but it was also the egg. Mother of who? The brakeman. Incorrect. Over to Paul. She was um, the mother of Sanke. Incorrect. He just said the brakeman and you said Sanke. Incorrect. She is the mother of Junior. And last question, Massey, you're up 2-0. Can you, can you go 3-0 up? Rub it in. What does cool runnings mean? Massey. Massey. Just running with the wind. No. Paul? It's just a name given to uh, bobsleigh in America because they're cool and they're running. No, incorrect. The answer is when a three those questions came from the same team, peace be the journey is what uh, Larry said. Cool runnings meant. Right, that's it. Um, thanks very much. Thanks, Massey. Who, who, who was the score there? Uh, Massey, 2 0. Congratulations. Okay. So thanks very much, Lance. See you all soon. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Please leave a review on your favorite platform. And if you enjoyed it, tell a friend. You may also want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Roy Orbison Tattoo. And we appreciate any likes, retweets, comments, and any feedback you want to give us. We return next Tuesday morning with the first episode of season two. Thanks for joining us, folks. And we'll see you all again.